0: who's got the barking dog this morning
1: well that would be me two of them
2: (laughs) great
0: (laughs) yeah so uh we got the memorial day issue out how's everybody feeling
2: you know what it was actually uh, you know I i thought it came together fairly easily this year and um i was actually taken aback at the size of the paper when we were all done because when we were sort of focused on getting it done. It's not a holiday issue like any other we've ever had.
1: There's something about doing it virtually, I think, that when you're not seeing the actual um, printed pages to, you know, to to proofread and all that, you don't see the size of it and, until it's all put together and, and you look at it digitally. I think we were over 100 pages, is that right?
3: Yeah, right at 100. And with a residence section, with the, our own art section, you know, which those have been combined largely, with a really awesome gardening section. And it, so it felt really diverse too. You know, it wasn't just um, you know, a, a standard news section and community. It, there's a lot to read here. I just think it's
0: interesting how we've like gotten more creative about throwing those sections together really quickly. You know, When we do the magazines, there's so much thought, thought and like we're planning and writing them three months out. But with this gardening section, it's just like, okay, two weeks, let's see what we can do.
3: I think that that's what's happened to us in general, don't you? Like we've all learned how to work more nimbly um, because we haven't had a choice. And I think we've all adapted really well. And yeah, I mean, the idea of putting together a special section on any topic, I feel like we can get it done in two weeks, no problem. Um, And I think that that's kind of the plan moving forward, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Nimble has been a key word, no question.
3: Well, it's
0: kind of weird how it's sort of like, you know, everyone said, well, you can't work from remote. How can you work from remote? And it's where everybody's doing it now. And I don't know. I just think that we probably won't ever really go back to doing it exactly the way we used to, right?
3: I think that you're seeing that with local businesses are going to adapt and change. And um, I think we'll all be working remotely more often. I think you're going to see the same thing happen in schools. Um, I think at least for the next couple of years, this will probably fundamentally change the way. Most of us do most things.
2: It's interesting because we talked about this, about the the newspaper in general, that we knew we had to make some evolution here in the next year or two or three. It was coming and we we all knew it was coming and we were sort of bracing for it. This has just accelerated the pace where we've had to look at new new ways of doing things. And I think that's probably true for businesses all over the place, that these are not changes that necessarily are out of nowhere, these were changes that were probably gonna come at some point anyway, but they're just accelerated now because of the, the nature of things.
1: It's gonna be interesting to see the future landscape and, and again, a year or two out, whether people start to, to slip back into, into doing things the way they used to do it or, or what changes do become permanent um, you know, moving forward and, and what, how, how the technology will evolve to help promote that. It'll be interesting.
0: how many people decide to move out here permanently and not go back to the city well it's interesting that's the reason that my husband and I came out here originally in 1995 which is bizarrely early but at the time he was running his business basically using a pager um, and a beeper and so we realized sitting in our apartment you know in, in a very urban area that um we didn't have to be sitting in a very urban area because it was all by phone um, and beeper. So we sort of drew a 100-mile circle around Manhattan because that's how far as beeper would go and started exploring, you know, the perimeters. And that's how we ended up out here in 1995. How about
2: that? It was a technology-driven decision then, Absolutely,
0: yeah. Well, like, as Adam said, he's always, this is my husband, he's always um, tried to have a lifestyle that doesn't require his presence, so. <laughs>
3: I think we saw that also uh, at the express, you know, we, I had always worked with Michelle Traring as a freelance writer here and there. And a couple of years ago when, you know, Annette left the express to explore their options, I needed somebody who had a really strong arts background because replacing Annette is like impossible. Um, and so I reached out to Michelle Traring and Michelle Traring, you know, is in Colorado, but very familiar with this landscape and, I found she was able to put together news features, arts features, business features from Colorado, often better than some of the freelancers I had on the ground here. So I, you know, I think I could see a few years ago um, that working remotely was very possible for us as journalists. I think especially when you had someone like Michelle who
0: knew the area really well, you know already, I think that's the key, like once you know this area. Um, it's easier to go elsewhere and cover it from elsewhere, especially if you're talking about arts, because so many of our stories have always been done on the phone, anyways, because they're previews of events that uh, involve people that don't live here. So it's not like you can go visit them and do an in
1: person story for a lot of those. I just want to point out that I gave uh, Michelle her first job <laughs> out of college. Um, you always do that. <laughs> I do, because she's so exceptional. And I told her that yesterday. I was talking to her, and she's just. She's just so talented. It's really incredible to see the, the progress that she's made and her growth.
0: It works out well for her, too, because she lives out in Colorado, where she can probably afford to live a little bit more cheaply than those of us who have to pay our mortgages out here on the east end of Long Island.
2: And I feel compelled to add that you can't replace Annette, so we eventually had to just go back and get her.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and then I got to get her back, too. Woo! Yes. <laughs>
0: So when I move to Maui, you guys will understand that this will work remotely,
3: right? <laughs>
0: 100%. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I know you do.
3: I know you're not.
0: <laughs> so Georgie,
3: how's that homeschooling going there in the your neck of the woods? Um, well, my kids and, you know, I have informed their teachers of this. They're actually taking today off from school because it's my birthday. Um, and, you know. Happy birthday. Um, And so we we're doing well. I mean, we're getting through it. It's very um, it's very challenging because I feel very fortunate to be in this position, but I'm working as well. So I have, you know, my full time job and my husband, you know, has his full time job. But then we've got these two kids at home that. Um, One in particular, my kindergartner, really needs um, a lot of assistance to get through the school day. Um, It's not like I can just set him up in his office and give him a list of things to do. I really have to walk him through everything, and he's learning how to read, and he's learning how to write. Um, It's a really important time in his education. So, um, yeah, so it's definitely been challenging, um, you know, but we are getting through it, I think, you know, for most parents – We're just taking it day by day and we're telling ourselves to pay attention to the kids' mental health, um, you know, as much as their intellectual health. and I'm curious if any of the school districts
0: or any of the teachers are just sort of like, okay, the kids are just like hit the wall because the school year goes so late in June in this part of the world. And I just wonder, too, if some people are just going to be like, okay. We need to just call this a year because um, parents are breaking down and kids are just not functioning well. I don't know. Have you heard any any talk about that among your friends?
3: We've heard rumors. Um, and I'm not going to say which school district, that one school district was considering closing the school year in mid-June instead of at the end of June when it traditionally happens. Um and I've, I've heard about that happening elsewhere in the state. You know, as long as the teachers have met their contractual obligation in terms of the number of days they have to teach per their contract, um, I think any of the districts could make that choice. Um, but I think there's still so much up in the air in terms of graduation ceremonies and what's gonna happen there. Um, so I think you'll see some of maybe those decisions made before any district would consider announcing an early closure, at least locally. I wouldn't hate school ending early to be honest with you again, just because of the position that I'm in and I plan on working with my kindergartner on those skills that he needs to work on through the summer, but it would take a little of the pressure off. Um, you know, of course a lot of us parents are also wondering what, if anything is going to happen in terms of summer camps. Um, yeah, like the unstructured time could be an
0: issue too. You know, I'm dealing with that now because my daughter is a, just finished her freshman year at college, and her finals were like two weeks ago. And it's just like, oh, it's four o'clock. I think I'll get up. You know, mm-hmm. it's very difficult when they have absolutely no structure whatsoever. You know,
1: was it Cuomo who said this week that if he had kids or he would, if he had young kids, he wouldn't be sending them to summer camp because of the um, the new medical condition that's that's uh, showing up in in kids, the Kawasaki. Um,
3: It's changed everything. I think that 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 revelation about that syndrome, which is like Bill said, a Kawasaki type of inflammatory um, reaction to COVID that children are now having. Before then, it was like, well, maybe we can send them to come summer camp. Maybe schools can reopen pretty easily because kids aren't getting COVID. And that just threw everything on its head in terms of how we handle this with our children. I know that we um, have an opportunity to send our kids to summer camp if um, they are open, but we're having active conversations in our household about whether or not um, that would even be worth it.
2: I think this is the hidden stress, too. I think everybody's got the stresses of dealing with the virus and dealing with the fallout in our personal lives and our work lives and our financial lives. But the parents with kids, I, I just can't even imagine, on top of all that, it's a huge stress to have to provide the education for your kids. And, and I feel like that's taking a toll here uh, as we head towards summer. It's going to be a big relief when that is over for everybody, I think. I just, I just think it takes up a lot of bandwidth at a time where you don't have a lot of bandwidth uh, left. I mean, there's already so much going on. I, I really feel for parents Um, And I think there's probably going to be a whole new appreciation for teachers um, after this is over.
0: I wonder, too, will any of the kids, like, you know, are they going to test them to see where they are? I'm wondering how many kids maybe, you know, either backslid or jumped ahead based on how well or how terribly their homeschooling experience went.
3: Well, and also you have to talk about, like, of course, disparity, right? I'm fortunate enough that even though I have a full-time job, and my husband has a full-time job and we're working, you know, I've got a work schedule that I can make flexible around their hours at school, you know, and not every parent has that opportunity. Um, Not every school district has the budget um, or the ability to provide the kind of resources, I think, that we are provided through our school districts. You know, some parents um, their homes don't have enough computers for their kids to work on in, you know, distance learning. So, you know, I think they're, it's challenging. And then it gets even more challenging if you find you are without resources to really support your kids through this. And I think a lot of parents throughout the state of New York are probably in that boat. And then there's fall. What happens in the fall, you know? Well, they do
0: like split shifts or, I mean, I, it's funny because um, I have a friend who's someone off to the University of Maryland last fall, which was a very, very big class. Some of the freshmen had to start their school day at college, um, like at three in the afternoon. Um, So they almost had two shifts of kids. So they had the early morning kids who would basically get all their classes done by two. And then they had the kids who would go from like three to seven, um, because there was just too many kids and not enough lecture halls and professors. So they did a split shift thing, which may be what they'll have to think about doing in public schools if there's not enough ways to distance the kids next fall?
3: Well, and especially with what I think we're all um, just anecdotally expecting is going to be an increase in the number of students in every school district, because you're going to have a number of families that choose to live here on a full-time basis, whereas they may have only been summer residents before. Um, And then, of course, again, that's also going to go back to you know what resources each individual school district has um i'm in the spring school district which is an amazing school district but has been in the middle of a big expansion project because there was already not enough classroom <laughs> space for the kids here so now you have to provide this socially distanced classroom experience i mean I-, I will be very surprised if it's not like you said half day shifts in the classroom maybe every other day you know, and parents are still going to be doing, I think some a certain amount of distance learning come the fall. I don't envy you. <laughs> me neither <laughs> hey, you know, I love my kids, though. And again, as I said, speaking about disparity, I'm one of the lucky ones, you know? So, and I, I tell myself that when it gets tough is I'm very fortunate right now. I'm working, I'm getting a paycheck. My kids are healthy. My kids are safe. We're getting through the school day. I've got great teachers supporting us. Do you have any issues with um, internet access too? Cause I would think that's another disparity. Some school districts, um, I don't I don't think this is, I don't know if this has happened locally, but correct me if I'm wrong, but they've actually set up like wifi fi Um, connections into school buses and then drove those school buses into areas that don't have, you know, good internet access to support those kids. So I have seen news stories about that happening elsewhere. It's
2: amazing to me that that's an infrastructure thing that we're still working on in 2020, that you would think that um, access to, to the internet is sort of essential, almost at the level of electricity and running water these days. And and uh, it's kind of surprising to me that that's a national issue that hasn't been uh, addressed in a better way. And it, it also puts an emphasis on the whole 5G that's coming Didn't in. the
1: county have, have some kind of grand plan years ago about um, free Wi-Fi for everybody in the county that they were gonna install these, these you know, Wi-Fi repeaters and all that, and, and I think There were probably private business interests that got in the way, and that just never happened. But that should have been the way that that it went. I mean, Wi-Fi should just be available for everybody.
3: Well, I wonder, like you said, with things evolving and changing as a result of all this, you're probably going to see those kinds of infrastructure projects coming out here and coming quickly because you're going to have whole businesses, I would expect, that are gonna move from urban centers to places like this um, where people are gonna be telecommuting out of their homes, out of flex office space.
2: I don't, I don't wanna get all academic on you, but there was a book that I read back when I was in college and it was called Future Shock. And it's, uh, if you're familiar with it, and the idea is that uh, the writer's uh, contention was that the world is evolving so quickly that it's like, think about the stress if you were dropped in the middle of a culture where you had n- no idea the rules and the, the language or anything else. Um, that's happening to everybody nowadays at such a pace because the world evolves so quickly. Think about 30 years ago, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, how much the world has changed with the internet. I mean, I can 25 years ago, it was taking me. Uh, overnight to download a Star Wars trailer. I remember doing that uh, when we first moved over here. Now it's an essential part of our lives. And we're, you know, it's, it's remarkable how fast the world changes. And the virus is just another example of that, how quickly things change. is just, it's, it causes a lot of stress. The point of the book was, that's a stressful thing for anybody. Uh, you're, you're caught in a world you don't really recognize very quickly.
0: Yeah, all you have to do is watch like a coming-of-age teen comedy from the early 80s and you'll realize how naive we all were back then.
2: I always watch those things and say, just call somebody on your cell phone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's harder to write murder mysteries now because everyone's like, duh, you know, you don't have to get to the
2: phone. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's true. (laughs) That's funny. So, what was um, what was the big story this week? Do you guys think what was like the biggest story that hit the paper?
1: I think Mike Wright's story on uh, where, where he talked to restaurant owners about the future of restaurants and and that industry and that business. And um, I thought that was a really interesting read and and some interesting perspectives. And um, it it wasn't a it certainly wasn't a, a hopeful or joyful story. It was it, some sad realities in there perhaps and, and how these restaurants are gonna have to, to pivot and how they're gonna have to look toward you know the outdoor dining and all that and and just ask the, the question and, and they're asking the questions themselves are we gonna be able to survive with with uh, 50% occupancy or or with just outdoor dining um, and and takeout? I mean obviously takeout becomes a big part of their business. Uh, you know, and then the follow-up question to that is: Are people going to be ready if they do start outdoor dining and open, opening opening up up shir- regular restaurant service? Is is the public going to come? It was a really good story, interesting read, and and kind of led into some of the discussion we were having um, in the in the express sessions event yesterday as well with some main street business owners um, and uh, and and government officials, uh, you know, local lawmakers about what's going to happen. You know, in in that regard,
0: it sounds like a lot of them aren't very keen about opening up um, Main Street and getting rid of the cars on Main Street, right?
2: Yeah, the conversation yesterday sort of opened up some of those uh, disagreements, but uh, it's intriguing to me because one of the things we we talked about yesterday in the sessions event was that the needs of retailers and the needs of restaurants are actually very different, and that that can you know it's one of the one of the takeaways from the conversation yesterday was that business owners really want this to be a, a bottom-up solution uh, instead of a top-down solution. But it's very difficult to come up with a bottom-up solution when everybody's needs aren't united. And And I think that's going to be the challenge that everybody faces. It's in, And I, Kathleen Mulcahy, uh, the mayor in Sag Harbor, I think has a great approach, which is let's try some things. Let's do this for a weekend. Let's see how it goes. Let's take a day. Let's try this and, and build on that. I think that's the way to do it. I really do. Um, but at the same time, there is a risk there that that, that you are going to do damage to some businesses. Um, and and that's a tough uh, trial and error. I mean, people's lives are at stake here, people's livelihoods. And, and uh, I don't envy uh, folks who are making those decisions. It's a tough call.
0: Yeah, but I think it's true. I mean, it's sort of like how we've adapted because we had to. I mean, if we talked about adapting during our normal work week, we would never find the time to say, okay, everybody work from home next week. You know, we just would never have done it. And I feel like the Main Street businesses, is kind of the same thing. For years, there's been like, let's shut down Main Street for one day and see how it goes. And there's never been any interest in, you know, even trying it for one day. So I feel like this might kind of force their hand a little bit, just like we've had to learn how to do this remotely there may be a, like now is the time we're just going to have to try this for one day and see how it goes. And maybe it's the middle of the week or something. That
1: came up yesterday in the sessions and I, and I think somebody used the phrase silver lining and and that may be the silver lining from all of this is, is it does kind of force the municipalities to, to try and experiment, try some different things, um, try the outdoor dining, try some different parking limitations, um, that type of thing just to just to see what works and, 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 not for nothing with with them having, um, you know, states of emergency and the ability to issue executive orders. It might be a lot easier for the municipalities to implement that on a temporary basis to give those things a, a, a try.
2: There's also there's an old cliche, and I think it's been debunked. But the idea is that the Chinese character for crisis is the same as the Chinese character for opportunity. Yeah,
3: that's false.
2: <laughs> yeah, How, however, however,
3: we
0: wish it I wasn't false. I love, the, <laughs> I,
2: love the, I love the underlying concept which is it, it really is about perception. You ha, you have a crisis it forces you to make decisions uh, and that gives you a real opportunity and I think that's I think we're gonna, we're living that right now and and I think it's going to be interesting. To see how that that happens. I don't necessarily and I mean, it's a dangerous thing to say out loud, maybe, but I don't necessarily think it's all going to be bad. I think some of the things that are going to come out of this on the other side, are going to be beneficial for businesses and beneficial for the economy and beneficial for the community. I really do. Um, Nobody wants this. Believe me, I I, if we could have made it go away right up front, that would have been the better solution. But I think there are opportunities here. And I'm hopeful that uh, we all learn from from this.
0: May you live in interesting times, Joe Shaw. Should we um, call this our podcast and put it out to the world? Let's do it. Now all we need is some theme music and a name. Did you
2: come up with a... Oh. Uh, hi, yeah. Oh. <laughs> hi, Karina. Dana has an opinion, shockingly.
0: You have an idea. What about 27 speaks?